And now the message for today uh, is a message I hope that will resonate with you all summer long. All summer long. It's the second in a two-part series about the power to change your life. This is part two of that. It's all about joy. It's all about joy, the fruit of the Spirit, joy. Why joy really motivates us and governs us and is the very power of our Christian life. And so here's the point, church. You see, it's very easy to be happy when everything's going well in your life. It's all a big parade. We're on top of the world. We're high-fiving. But all of a sudden, you see, as life would have it, all of a sudden, there's negativity. We live in a world in which we are surrounded by negative things. Now, how can we be optimistic when everything around us is falling apart? And this is where joy comes in. This is where the joy of the Spirit comes in as one of the very fruits of the Spirit. Uh, and if you look at Philippians chapter 4, verse 4, it says it so well, our brother Paul, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. And so the sermon point to start the message is this, joy goes much deeper than happiness. Much deeper than happiness. You see, happiness is an emotion that really governs itself dependent upon the circumstances. I'm happy when things are good. I'm not happy when they're not good. But joy is more profound, far deeper. It's a spiritual gift. Uh, and joy is not dependent on circumstances. It is your choice, you see. It is your choice to rejoice. And that is the very subject of this sermon today, that choice that God would have you make. The sermon point is that you can choose, regardless of circumstances, to be joyful. Look at Romans 4, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand, and we boast in the hope of the glory of God. You see, that's, that verse is so poignant. We boast in the hope of the glory of God. Why? Because we have been justified by the blood of Jesus Christ. We know where we're going. We're saved. We will be in heaven. We have been justified. And because of that, through our faith in Christ Jesus, uh, we now have peace. Peace that the world will never know. It is that peace, regardless of circumstances, you see, that gives us joy. And so we understand that as Christians, uh, we always have hope. Uh, unlike others who have hope based on their money or possessions or their relationships, none of that applies to us. We have hope because of Jesus. We have hope because God has saved us. That's where our hope is pinned on. And we stay positive regardless of the vicissitudes of life because of that very hope. Look at Romans 12, verse 12. Be joyful in hope, patient 
in affliction, faithful in prayer. Our hope is in Christ. There it is. All of our hope is wrapped up in Jesus Christ. That's why it does not vary based on what we go through. The next sermon point I have for you is this. Second, we rejoice because God has a purpose in every situation in our lives. Let me repeat that. God has a purpose in every situation in our lives. Not just the good times, but the bad times. When you've given him your life, and he sits there and holds it in the palm of his hand and promises that no authority, no principality, no power will ever take you out of his hand. You have the assurance to know he's in charge of your life. There are no accidents that happen to us as Christians. And so look at Romans 5, verse 3, which powerfully speaks to this. It says, not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings, because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. There it is. That's how we operate. We glory in our sufferings. It doesn't mean that we're happy that we're suffering. It means that we have a perspective, a divine perspective, that we know what we're going through is within his will, and therefore, if it is within his will, we bow to him and submit to him and say, Lord, I'm in your will, and therefore, I can glory in it because I know I'm walking with him. And what, does hap what happens next? Well, that suffering then, because we bow to him with the right perspective, we bow to him because we know that that suffering will produce perseverance. Perseverance, strength, walking through waves, walking through dark times. And then what happens? That perseverance then produces character. Your spiritual character is now strengthened and emboldened, and the world can see it, and now it becomes a testimony. And ultimately what happens, it then displays the hope of God. You're the hope of God, you see. You're the walking hope of God. When the people of the world look at you as you go through these difficult times, they see you and you become the veritable hope of God in the world. And so here's the point. Joy, and this is key, joy is learning to enjoy life in spite of of problems. Learning to enjoy life in spite of problems. Joy is not the absence of suffering, but it is the presence of God. The presence of God. To know that even as you go through these trials, that God is with you. He's surrounding you. And that he is doing something with you in a mighty way. We understand and know that God is always with us, walking with us every moment of our lives. Now, Paul is not saying that we should fake joy or that we should be hypocrites. God doesn't want that. That's not what God wants. Paul's also not talking about masochism, people that delight because they're being punished. That's not what this is about. Rather, he says we rejoice 
in our sufferings because we know there is a purpose in our suffering. You see, it's not like the world lives. There is a purpose. I laugh when I hear people in the world say, well, I believe that all things work together for good. Wrong theological statement. No, no, for you, for you, all things don't work together for good. They work together for bad. But if you read the whole verse, for we know that all things work together for good to them that love the Lord and are called according to his purpose. Then all things work together for good. Because you love the Lord and you're called according to his purpose. And that's the guarantee that he gives you. Yes, that's the guarantee. Uh, and we have to understand that. Uh, and so that's why we can rejoice in the suffering that we go through. And so the sermon point that I have for you next is that this is all about our perspective, which influences our reaction. It's all about your perspective as you go through these difficult times. Now, perspective makes all the difference in the world. Effectively, it's how you respond. Uh, and our perspective is that God is in charge of everything. We have a Christian worldview, which means that God controls the world. Don't think that the world is being controlled by other forces or that things happen by accident. I want to assure you that God is in charge. Everything that happens in this world, we understand, is due to the hand of God. And so even as we as Christians suffer and go through trials, we know that those difficulties have value for us because God is molding us and lifting us and affirming us. And so it's much easier, you see, to go through dark times when you recognize this, that God is in charge, that he's making something mighty of you. And so the next sermon point I would emphasize for you is what exactly does our suffering produce? What exactly does God have in mind as we go through these issues? Well, Paul says perseverance. Perseverance, meaning you can stand up to the dark times. You can show the world what does it mean to be a Christian. And I told you that some of the greatest sermons in my life were delivered to me in hospice and in hospital rooms as I've seen people in the church who were suffering and dying, yet they've glorified God. And it spoke to my heart about the power of the Holy Spirit much more than any sermon did, to see that evidence in the life of our people. And we know that that perseverance then produces character. This is what God wants. He wants you to have a strong spiritual component, character, that can withstand the ups and downs of life. Now, we need to remember this, and this is important. Whether a problem is brought on by yourself, by stupidity, by mistakes, or by other people, or even by Satan, God allowed it to happen. God allowed it to happen. He puts a hedge around us, but at times God lowers the hedge. And so as he does that, as he does that, there's a reason as to why God is putting us through these issues. And so here's the point. As we recognize this, we now have spiritual fruit. God has put the Holy Spirit into our lives. He expects us to switch the Holy Spirit on and to have that empower us. And as he does that, then what happens next? The fruit of the Spirit multiplies and grows 
and ripens uh, in such a powerful way. Uh, and the book of James really, really emphasizes this issue. If you look at James chapter 1, verses 2 to 4, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Notice how perseverance keeps coming up as the key spiritual word. Perseverance, persevere, continue when the road gets rough, when dark clouds come your way, because it is that very act of persevering that's going to develop your character, and your character will develop hope, and your hope will be the hope of God that will be evidence to an entire world. And so here's the point. All of these uh, problems in life are meant to produce spiritual maturity. God wants you all to be mature Christians. Every one of you, mature Christians. So that you're not affected by the blowing wind. You're not affected by a dark day uh, or a cloudy day, but instead you know I'm walking with you, Jesus. I'm walking towards the cross. I'm no, I understand I'm in the day two experience in my life. I want you to put me in front of people that I can speak to about Jesus Christ. I want to emphasize the cross of Jesus Christ. I want to take the focus off me and put it on you, Father. I don't want to look at me. I want to look at you. And you give me the strength to live that kind of life. So no study, you see, no study of the Christian life and understanding Christian joy can ever probably be complete without mentioning the book of Philippians. Paul, he's in jail for doing nothing wrong but preaching about Jesus Christ. And he's in prison. You think he had a right to be depressed? You think he had a right to be angry? What are you doing to me, God? We met on the road to Damascus, and now I'm in jail? Is this what you had in mind for me? This is how I'm to serve you? But look at what he writes. And you see the impact of the Holy Spirit in such a powerful way. Because Paul had learned to be content in every single situation in life, even in a darkened prison cell. In Philippians 4, verse 4, he says, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. This guy's in prison. He's in prison. Rejoice. Rejoice always in the Lord. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Notice that. The peace of God will guard your heart. The peace of God will lift you up. The peace of God will affirm you. And look at what he says there in that verse. He says, don't be anxious. Don't be anxious. Don't be concerned. Look, I'm in jail and I'm not concerned. You're at home. You're in a seat in a nice church. You're about to go and have a, a celebration. Don't be concerned. He's with you. 
All right? But what? In every situation, by prayer and petition and thanksgiving, present your petitions to God, meaning every moment of the day, pray. Speak to him, but speak with a heart full of thanksgiving. Lord, I thank you for what you've given me. I thank you for this church. I thank you for the friends. I thank you for the life that you've given me, Lord. Now, within your will, I have this issue. That's the kind of prayer God wants. And when you say that, when you say that, the peace of God will lift you up and guide you. Look further on in that same section of Scripture at verse 8. Now he talks to you about how and what you think about. Finally, brothers and sisters... Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. You see, that's what God wants you to look at. He wants you to elevate the things that need to be elevated. So many of us have just dived down into the darkest area of this world. We can't wait to get enough bad news into our life. Oh, get up in the morning, turn on that cable news, let it just pour into my life. How many, how many people got killed last night? How many churches blew up? How many riots are there? Where are the protesters? Oh, I can't get enough of this. Let me have some more coffee. And then suddenly... Two hours later, you're a little depressed. You're a little down. You're a little off. Because you see you wallowed in evil. You wallowed in evil. Turn it off. You don't need to hear it. It's going to take place whether you're listening or not. All right? Whether you're listening or not, instead, think about these things that he's talking about. The noble things, the higher things. Read your Bible. How about that? Read your Bible. Read a verse. Pray about it in every way. Uh, and, and I have this on a plaque uh, prominently pictured in my kitchen so that I can remember this. This is important to me, and I want it to be important to you. These are the kind of things that God wants you to focus on because this brings joy into your life. You see, this is perspective. This is what it means by choice. You choose to do this. You choose to turn off cable television. And instead, you choose to embrace the higher things in life. You see, Paul had learned, he had learned over a lifetime to be content in any situation. And his, his joy was not dependent upon his circumstances. This is an extraordinary man who learned from the Lord, what it meant to have true joy. Even imprisoned, he gave God the glory, recognizing that this was the call of his life. And so I want to say things to you right now, that some of you are going through dark times. I know it. I'm praying for you. I'm burdened for you. I don't want you to think that I'm not. And I continue to pray for you every single day. And I would say this to you, that those of you who have given your heart to the Lord, I want to assure you that whatever has come your way will ultimately be for the greater glory of God. Can I get an amen, church? You understand that? The greater glory of God. I don't know how. I can't do it because I'm not God, but I read the words of the Bible, and that's what the Bible tells me. 
the greater glory of God. And this is a key point to understand. That Paul understood that God was in charge and in control of every aspect of his life. And so this is a powerful lesson for us today as God wants you to take control of your life and take control of that joy. In Romans 5, verse 11, Paul mentions a third reason to be joyful. He says, quote, not only is this so, but also we boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Reconciliation, what does it mean? It means you've not just been forgiven, but you've been reconciled, meaning God has now made you a partner with him. You are now fully joined into the family of God. That's reconciliation. Not just forgiveness, but elevation to status, to partnership with God and with Jesus Christ. This becomes a key issue for us. Uh, forgiveness is often just one-sided, but reconciliation is far more, far more, showing a perspective of God to make you his partner in every possible way. And there's a beautiful verse found in Isaiah 43, verse 2, which I would recommend to all of you that talks about really what this means, this relationship means. It says, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. All I would say to every one of you is to think about all the times in your life that you've walked through the water, that you walked through the fire, that you walked through dark times and didn't even realize he was walking right there with you, protecting you, surrounding you, and affirming you, lifting you up because you gave him your heart. And that's what he does for you. Uh, this passage gives me such great hope Great hope and understanding. God is telling us we have no idea how many times he's been with us even as we went through these dark times, through the rivers, through the swells, through the fires, yet he protected us. That's what we give thanksgiving about. That's why we bow our hearts to him, knowing that he has done this. You think about all the potential fires in your life, all the things that you know that other family members or friends may have experienced, and somehow God has protected you. And when I look out in this congregation, I have to say that I see a congregation that's up there pretty much in age. Okay? God has given you that grace. He's given you that grace. But the journey is not over. It's not over. He's not done with you. The finish line is still a way off. I want you to understand this. And so what it means to be reconciled with God means that he has made you his adopted child. You are now a part of the family of God. This is why we walk with joy. How can I not be joyful to know that? Even as I'm surrounded by issues, Yet I know he's done that and that he holds me through the fires, through the wind, through the storms. 
And so my next sermon point for you is this. Joy is like a muscle. The more you exercise it, the stronger it becomes. Now consider the following exercises that I would give you uh, to improve your spiritual perspective. This is what you need to know. It doesn't happen by accident. It happens by choice. And so I want you to think about this and focus on this this summer. First, develop an attitude of gratitude. First, develop an attitude of gratitude. Thank you, Father, for everything that you've given me. Thank you, Lord, for helping me find a church and people that love me to be able to hear the word of God. Thank you, God, so much for all that gift. Look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 18, where it says, Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Give thanks in all circumstances, not just the good times, but the dark times. Lord, I give thanks. I know you're working in my life. I give thanks to you in every possible way. And so how do you express your gratitude? How do you express your gratitude? Well, how about lifting up a friend who's down? How about praying for somebody that's going through dark times? How about putting your arm around someone who needs an uplift? How about reaching out to people who are going through dark days? Isn't it possible you can pick up the phone and make a phone call? Or could you even possibly write a note? Think about all the things that you could do to serve the kingdom of God, showing gratitude to Jesus Christ because of what he gave you. This is the essence of what, what we need to do. Uh, secondly, cultivate inner joy by giving. Jesus made it very clear. It is better to give than to receive. Better to give than to receive. Now, I know that's a hard thing to teach to a baby or a child, all right? Because when we're children, we only want to get. But you understand with spiritual maturity, we understand that we have a responsibility to give. We have a responsibility to give. That's when we are most like God, when we are giving. Uh, in addition to giving, God determines how much God can do in our lives. This is an important theological premise for you to understand. God looks at your heart. He looks at your giving. And I'm not just talking about money. I'm talking about time, about resources, about your heart. How much of yourself are you giving away to the kingdom of God? Because giving is a key element here in expressing joy. Malachi 3 verse 10 says it so eloquently. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house, says the Lord. Test, test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. Test me, says God. Test me and I'll show you that whatever you thought you gave away, I will give you a thousand times more. You can never outgive God. I want you to understand this. And so when people say to me, and you know I've said this often, well, John, is it the net or is it the gross? 
And I say, you're missing the whole point. It's not the net or the gross, it's everything. When you come to understand that everything you own, everything you have, he gave it to you. Can I get an amen? You understand? He gave it to you. Oh, wait a minute, John, I worked pretty hard. I went to a lot of school. I said, no, don't let me give you that lesson, please. I got that from my mother and father years ago when I wanted to go in and brag about what I was doing as a lawyer and my father looked at me and said, well, could you have done it if we weren't praying for you? Could you have done it if he didn't give you health? Could you have done it if he didn't give you intellect? And I had to say, no, no, no. And I walked out of the house looking like a midget because God knew I needed that lesson. You understand? You can't outgive God. And so when you think about it, don't hold back because he wants to test you and show you how much he loves you. This is how the joy of God, the joy of the Spirit of God fills your heart. I'm going to tell you that. This is the joy of God. And then the sermon point says, develop inner joy through service. Through service, give your life. Give your life to others. This is how we must lose our life in order to save our life. Give your life to others. And I want to say that we're dedicating this church to the ministry of laity. I want this church to be able to provide multiple ministries for every single one of you so that you have an opportunity here to serve God. If you want to serve God in some way, you come to us and we will provide that opportunity. That's what our job is. That's what we want to do. And this is how you gain a life. You gain your life. Uh, because Jesus made that very clear. We must lose our lives in order to save our life. That's what it means. You lose your own perspective of self. Instead, you look at him and you focus on him and you serve him. Ephesians 6 verses 7 and 8 says, serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not people, because you know that the Lord will reward each one for whatever good they do, whether they are slave or, or free. The happiest people are usually so busy, so busy that they don't have time to worry about themselves. All they do is think about others. And that, for me, should be the guidepost of our church, that we think about others, that we think about the lost, that we think about this. And one of the greatest things that we can do is to give to others the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's the essence of what it means to give in the most profound way. Speak to people about Jesus. Find an opportunity to speak about Jesus. Look, our culture says live for yourself. Live every day and get all the juice you can out of the day. No, no, no. That's not what we do. We're bound to Jesus. We live for him. Every day doesn't count unless we give it to him. Every aspect of our life for him in every way. And so that's the essence of joy. That's what God would have for every one of you. This is how you live a triumphant life. And I ask you this summer to focus on this, reflect on this, uh, even as you're being tempted to remember these words, and God will surround you and lift you and affirm you so many ways. Amen, church? Let's bow our heads as we close in prayer. Lord Jesus, I thank you, Father, for the message. I thank you for the words of encouragement.
I thank you, Father, for giving us the key to having a happy life, which is joy, which is far deeper than mere happiness. Joy, the abiding principle of following you. And so, Father, I ask you that in every way you fill us with this joy, this fruit of the Spirit, that you've given us the tools to encourage us, to lift it up, that we reach out to a lost world in every way, to touch the lost, and to be inspired to walk closer with you in every way. Father, we put all these things before you as we pray for our church. Be with our church. Keep it together. Encourage them, Lord, especially this summer as I'm away for a few weeks. But bind them together to recognize that this is not the church of a man, but it's the church of our Lord Jesus Christ. God bless you. Amen.